Gracious Father, we give thanks to you, Lord, for all the, the good and perfect gifts that come down from the Father of lights, which is you. And during this season, we are reminded of the blessing of Christ Jesus who came into the world, took, taking on flesh in a, um, in a rowdy town, in, in, in poverty. And it reminds us of how he condescended to us. And Father, we are reminded that you take interest in us. <coughs> so we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I am getting over a cold. And uh, the stuff that helps you get better or through it or Flonase or whatever, allergy pill, makes you a little extra dry. So you need more water, apparently. But you can never quite get enough. So, hey, uh, interesting week. There was a famous theologian that passed away. Some of you might not know him as famous. Others of you might. R.C. Sproul um, went to be with the Lord. Some of you know, maybe some of you have never heard of that person. But the guy had a massive influence on the Christian world for years and years. He was an older guy. Just passed right away this week. Also, for me personally, I just had uh, my great aunt pass away as well. And, and I want to share a couple things um, about her who had a very um, interesting influence on my life, much like a famous guy like R.C. Sproul, but she was a very regular and normal person. Her name was Esther Terrell. Now, most everyone here has not met her, except for a few of you, and will not meet her this, until heaven. But she was a dear sister in the Lord and um, loved Jesus and loved, loved to magnify the name of Jesus. Now, let me just share a couple things about her in particular and how it impacted my life. I remember um, after church as a young person, as a child, we would go and we would have brunch together as a family at her place. She lived in Placentia, and we went to church in Fullerton during that time. And she would make these waffles that were amazing. You, remember, you know those childhood memories you have, right? Like uh, the waffles and the machine thing, and they were actually really good. But they weren't like Eggo waffles, like, um, like those are horrible, right? But, but, but these were like Belgium, homemade. And I remember the smell of bacon and juice. And as a kid, even, you know, you had the fruit too, and that wasn't real special as a kid. And it was never like ripe when you're at, gra you know, grandma, great aunt's house. This was like hard melon, but you ate it anyway, because your parents said to. But that was there as well. And I remember that she would encourage um, a brunch at her place after church, encouraging the family to be a part of Christian community. And one of the things that she would do for myself and my brother is that she would have these, these Legos available. Every single week we'd come. Like a new little, you know those little bitty boxes? They're, they're like that big, and, and they're $150. You know, you know those? You're familiar with those, right? Um, well, well, back then, uh, they weren't that much, but they were still really, really cool. And uh, we would get those every single week we went to, to church and visited great aunts. And um, I look back, and I think... Here is a person who was making an investment in the Christian life of not only of her, her niece, but my mom, but also her niece's children 
And, and you know, I learned that bribery was not okay except when you wanted ch kids to go to church. So, and you could bribe, that was okay, but other forms of it were not, but it, it wasn't bribery, but it was, just, it was just a nice gesture and it was probably helpful. I don't know, maybe it helped us. I don't know, I'm not sure what our attitudes were at that age. Um, but, uh, but, sh but she did that. She made those types of investments in us. What, why does someone do that? Why does someone make those types of eternal investments? And so, <clears throat> it wasn't long after that, I would, I would grow up a little bit, and I was about 19 years old, and I'd move out of my parents' house and go to live with my, um, my great aunt. Dude, Angel, would you mind just shutting that door? It's, or maybe the front doors. Would that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow me down. So, so we would, um, oh, thanks. Oh, no, dude, it's all right. No, I forgot about that. So she, I, I would move in with, with great aunt, and uh, it was to go to school in the area. I went to a community, local community college, and then I went to Cal State Fullerton. And I, I found out after the fact, but that she had made a certain phone call that had a massive impact on that continued investment on another person's faith. I, um, by the time I was a young teenager and I could drive, I would drive myself to church. I drove to a church where I lived in high school, and when I came out here, I just rolled into the local church that I, that I knew about because we, we went to it as a, as a young person, and I would hear Chuck Swindoll. I was sitting in the back row. I didn't know how to get involved with that particular church at that time as a 19-year-old, but I was rolling in before I'd go to work at the gas station and just, and just listen to this really solid preaching, and lo and behold, I get a call as I'm living with her within the first week from uh, a guy who's involved with the college ministry at the church, inviting me into the college ministry there at the church that I otherwise had no idea it existed. Then I found out that she was actually the one who called him and asked if he would give a call to this young college student. Would you invite him to this? Here, here's, a, here's a hot lead. Why don't you give him? He's a young person. He's kind of new in the area, but he'd probably love to go. And that guy called because great aunt had called him. Now the ramifications of that was that I would certainly grow in my faith. I would learn about Christian community in a whole, on a whole new level. I would learn about Christian theology because I would, I would get to know the, the college pastor and he was a total theologue, nerdy type, went to seminary, did MDiv like in two years, which is just like super nerd. Super sharp. So he introduced me to, to theology and biblical theology and all kinds of stuff and just reading and reading and all kinds of Bible. And, um, and I would even meet my wife at that church. You know, because one person called a guy who called me and, and then I would go and I would learn about ministry and experience a call to ministry, even meet my wife there and get all kinds of experiences at that particular church and go on and continue in Christian ministry. Why does someone make those types of investments? And what I offer up is I offer up this is that she cared radically for the magnification of God. The reason that a person would make uh, internal investments in another person like that in their discipleship, in their understanding of the Bible, in their, in their encouragement to get involved with Christian community and stay in the local church was because I, and I know her, Personally, but she had a, a radical 
love for the magnification, the glory of God. And that's, that's why she did that, I would offer up. And I would say to us that, that we need to be a people that actually love magnifying God. That every single one of us needs to care radically about magnifying God. And it needs to be the thrust of our life. Why should we care about the magnification of God? And we should care about the magnification of God because of the characteristics of God. There's a book that I read uh, years and years ago. A guy by the name of John Piper, most of you here don't care who he is and haven't heard of him, and that's okay. He's a Christian, he's a pastor, he's a theologian, he's a retired pastor, he's a good guy. But most people don't, except some of the, a small part of the Christian world know who John Piper is. He wrote a book called Desiring God, and I read that book uh, more than 20 years ago. Desiring God. It's a good book. It's a book you should read. If there's one book that you would read from him, it would be that book. And he, he comes to this, uh, this thesis that he pushes really hard in his book, Desiring God. Kind of capture it in the title, Desiring God. And what he says is he says um, that, uh, that God is most glorified, he says, when we are most satisfied in him, in God. He says that God is most glorified than when we are most satisfied in him. And he goes on to explain in his book that he, uh, that he, he gets this from the Bible itself, and he, he demonstrates that. But he gets that from um, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith, follow along with me. I realize this is like, like not what you read necessarily. It's a, it's a catechism. It's the kind of book that... Um, that it's just basic Christian doctrine in, in a particular tribe. And um, um, so what Christians have done historically is churches, as they grow and they mature, they try to kind of chalk out certain things. They, they really feel and believe that there are things important. They, they want their flock to know, and they would do that in the form of books. And people continue to do that to this very day, right? Curriculum, Bible studies. Hey, we, we really think it's important that you know these five things or whatever. And, and that's, that's what a catechism is, and the, and the, West, and the Westminster Confession of Faith is, is simply that. And one of the first um, issues in it is, is to ask this question, is it asks, what is the chief end of man? And then what the answer to that question is, that the chief end of man is to glorify God, and then it uses the word and, and enjoy him forever. It says, to glorify God, the chief end of man is to glorify God and Enjoy him forever. It says that. Now, John Piper puts like a, like a little twist on it, and it's a very helpful twist, um, um, but he says it a little different. And he says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And he likes to take that Westminster Confession of Faith thing, and he, and he puts the word by instead of the word and. He says, God the chief end of man is to glorify God by, he says, enjoying him forever. It's, it's a nuance, but it's fascinating because he, what he tries to do is he tries to tie our joy together with the glory of God. 
And, and here's the thing that we learn from Piper and from the Bible and, you know, this kind of teaching. And it's this, that, that your joy actually really matters. And there's no joy greater than the pleasure and delight in God himself. And here's, and here's why this, is, this matters for us, um, is that people tend to want to find joy in something else. The, every single thing that we try to find joy in or more satisfaction in rather than God, we rob ourselves, but we are robbing the glory of God by doing that. What we try to do is we try to find satisfaction in whatever it is, children, money, sex, power, whatever, whatever. It is. Hoarding. I mean, on and on. It just goes on and on and on. Is that this thing probably should satisfy me more than God. And God says, are you insane? I have infinite joys for you to enjoy by knowing God. By having a relationship with God. Now, John Piper, in that book, he, he, um, he introduced me to a guy named C.S. Lewis. Most of you here probably have no idea who he is, and that's okay. He's an old dead guy, but he said some really cool stuff, and he says it better than I do, so I'm going to say what he said. Now, C.S. Lewis, he says that people basically are more satisfied with making mud pies than they are an offer to the beach. He says that. That we, when we basically, when we are more interested in other things than in God himself, that we are interested more in making mud pies than the day being offered to us at the beach. And isn't that true? When, when, we, when we are like diving into sin, whatever it is, or trying to find satisfaction, that's what idolatry is, by the way. We try to find satisfaction in something else other than God. We think that making mud pies is way better than being with God. And so this is how I'm going to say it, that every single one of us needs to be about the magnification of God. And the way we'll do that is, is knowing the characteristics of God himself. And I'd like you to turn to your Bibles in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We are, um, <clears throat> we are in Advent season. This is a Christmas season, and uh, this is uh, preparing for the, the, the coming, the arrival of Jesus in the flesh in the form of a babe born of a virgin in Bethlehem all those years ago, fulfilling the scriptures of God, the m amazing blessing, a gift for the world, how people can find peace with God through Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. We are in a season of Advent, and we are looking at these Christmas narratives, and, and it's only a few weeks. It's, it's this week, and then, and then Christmas Eve, and then that's it. But it's Jesus all the time. Jesus all the time. But we're going to look at some of these things through the story of, of the narrative of the arrival of Jesus. And this morning, what I'm going to be showing you is a song that uh, Mary sings, you might say. 
in her celebration, in her magnification of the things that she has experienced and the things that she has heard. And I'm telling us that we all need to care greatly about the magnification of God in all things. In verse 46 and 47, it says this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Isn't it amazing? That the first words of her mouth right after hearing from this angel that she will carry the Messiah in her womb. What a blessing this is. This is for salvation for the world. And a reaction is, may it be to me according to your word. I trust God. I believe. And she's pondering all these things. She visits her her, her aunt, <coughs> and she is so excited, and she can't help but break out in these words. And now, I just want to, by way of observation, point something out here about Mary and the very words that she says. Because most of us here, we all come from different traditions, right? That whole catechism thing. Churches in every, all over the world, they, they kind of, they, they chalk things out, whether it's, you know, the Heidelberg, the Westminster, or some Baptist, or maybe it's just the local catechism, and so on and so forth. I want to make an observation and point something out here that Mary says about herself that we need to see. It's theological, it's true, it's robust, and it, it might, it might uh, re, reform some of your, your thinking, possibly, maybe not, I don't know, depending on your tradition. But um, she says, my God, my Savior. Mary, right in Scripture, for all of us to see, is confessing that she is a sinner, saved by grace, just like every single one of us. Mary is a person. She was born normally. She's, she's a sinner. She's in need of a Savior, and she confesses it. She magnifies God, but she also says, my Savior, my God. Dude, isn't that amazing? Now, I want to read the rest of it, and then I'll come back, and I'm, I'm going to offer up the characteristics of God that she lays out. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is this song that she breaks out in praise, this magnification of God. And what I'm calling every single one of us to is a total and utter magnification of God because of the characteristics of God. And I'm going to lay out three of them that we see here in the text right here. Number one is that he sees us. Number two is that he's strong. And number three is that he cares. And those are the, those are the three things I'm just going to highlight from this, from this song that she breaks out in. So the first is that he sees us. He sa she says, 
For he, in verse 48, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. The scriptures say, even yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I don't know if you've pondered this or realized this or know this, this character aspect of God, but do you know that he sees you? He sees every single intimate part of your being. He knows why you react the way you do to things. He knows what, what makes you uh, upset. He, he knows what has caused the brokenness inside of us, every single one of us. He sees you. And he's aware of every single aspect of you. And scripture affirms that over and over and over. How about when he saw Israel in the hands and the grips of Egypt and they were crying out and God sees them and he rescues them? Or, or how about Jonah that even in the midst of, after doing all he did and he, he finally gets to a point where he's frustrated and he, want, he doesn't want to preach to these people and God sends them because it's good news. They need to hear this good news. And he does and, he, and he's really angry and upset and he goes and, and God kind of sees him and he, and, he, um, and he causes this plant to grow to, to even shelter him in the midst of that. He sees Elijah that after when he's being chased and he's one of the last prophets of God and he's crying out to God, they're going to kill me. And it's really frustrating and it's scary and he's just so tired of it. And he's going, God, they're going to kill me. And God sees him. God sees him and notices him. I, I, I think of Hannah, I think of Jonah, I think of Moses, I think of Israel, and I think of us that he actually sees us. Do you know that he sees every estate and every difficulty that we experience, every hard thing, every great thing, every, everything? He sees you. Mary cries out after giving this great magnification of God and reflecting on the character of God, says he has looked on, on the humble estate of his servant. And she is acknowledging that he sees her just by way of observation, isn't it amazing you have this teenage girl, what, 13, 14, teenage girl, and she is throwing out this robust theology. That, that, that should fascinate us just a little bit. You know, you, you roll in home and your 13, 14-year-old daughter's just like, boom, Bible, theology. Dad, have no fear. Trust in the Lord your God. He is good. I mean, could you, right, could you imagine coming home? Maybe that's what you come home to. I don't know, but, 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 this is, but the commentary you will read will say, you know what, this was actually pretty common for a young Jewish girl in her particular context. Actually, no Bible like that. And she's spouting off these amazing things, and she's a super, she's a young person. But he sees us. Number two, he's strong. For he, in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. She's acknowledging the strength, the power. In verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He is strong. I'm reminded of Nebuchadnezzar, who is a, a ruler um, when, when Israel was, was exiled and, and brought into under their headship, and uh, they're trying to 
convert and get rid of the culture of all these, these people that are, that are wanting to walk with God. You've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel. You're very familiar with this book in the Bible. And God takes this king who has all this authority and all this power, and he's super intense, and he's, and he's bringing great harm on his people, and he's trying to change the culture by raising up these young people in the midst of his court. And what God does is he humbles this, this king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he turns him into an animal-like creature where he ends up being in the field, like an animal. He kind of grows, and such. he just gets messed up like a mad person eating from the ground. God did that because he's mighty, because he's strong. Do we not know how strong he is? The God who did that is the same God who led his people um, through the Red Sea. And I mean, I'm imagine this, and we need to say this a lot, and we need to remember this. When they stood there and, and, they, and God parts the Red Sea, you realize this, this, like, this goes against nature as we know it, where, where like, the sea is divided and you're actually going to walk through the center of it and you see the mighty salvation of God. God did that because he's, he's strong, because he's powerful. And we're so supposed to see those things and be reminded that God actually is strong. And that God can do the things that we perceive as impossible. <coughs> he can divide the seas. He rescues armies. He went ahead of the armies of Israel and just like just smacked the other armies to death. He goes ahead of them and just beat them for, for them. Oh, I know you're small and you're weak, and trust me, trust God, and he goes before him, and he, just, and he just conquers for them. And then we're reminded in the gospel, um, excuse me, in the book of Romans, which we spent months in recently, and now we can go back and reference it, and we see the power, the strength of God in the very gospel itself. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Do we not believe in its power? We see a God who speaks the entire universe into existence with the very words of his mouth, who divides the Red Sea, who conquers armies, who can cause a king to become like an animal for season and then bring him out of it so that he knows who God is. And his word can say that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And then we can have the goal to believe that it has no power. I'm confessing, I'm not blaming, by the way. I'm confessing and I'm encouraging you, come along with me and do you, do you experience that in your own life? Do you know that he is strong and do you believe it? Because he is. And then the testing of that is, when given the opportunity by God, do I believe in the power of God, the strong arm of God, like Mary confesses in this magnification? Do we believe it actually magnifies God and glorifies God to trust him in such a way that we would actually share the good news of the gospel with someone and believe that it is indeed powerful? Did you know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave paying for sins? My, and I'm like a messed up sinner too. Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that he could rescue you? Would you want to put your trust in him? I mean, like, how about, like, that simple? I mean, like, not, not to be, like, weird about it, but, like, bold. Like, Paul asked that, we, that the brothers would pray for the boldness. I mean, can it just be that simple at some point? We get to know someone and be like, dude, you know what? Look, my life is transformed. I was jacked up. And, 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 and here's the good news. And you know what? I actually believe it's powerful. 
I mean, he divides seas. He creates the universe with a word. Um, he raises a dead guy from the grave, and he can change your heart. Do you want this? And then we think, I don't actually think God can do this. Mary says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things. He is strong. So I believe that every single one of us needs to magnify God because of the characteristics of God. And I'm not going to give all of them, but he sees you. He takes notice of you. He takes interest in you. And secondly, he is strong. We, 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 he's almighty. He's all-powerful. Like, like we know that. Like the Bible teaches that. He, he is strong. And number three, he cares. He cares. And the word that she uses is this word mercy. Look at verse 50. And he has mercy he, and in his mercy, he is, he is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. And even at the, the last part of her song, she cries out in verse 54, he has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoken, excuse me, and as he, as, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abram and to his offspring forever. He has mercy. He has mercy on you, and he's demonstrated from time to time to time to time. Jesus was weeping with these sisters when their brother Lazarus had died. And though Lazarus does not deserve to be raised from the dead, Jesus raises him and calls out, and he comes up from the dead. That is mercy. Someone who doesn't deserve mercy gets mercy. Jesus meets with a woman at a well who has many, is trying to satisfy the longings of her soul with all these relationships, and he has mercy on her, and she believes by faith in, what, in him. Hagar was a woman who was a servant of, of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and they do this really twisted thing where Sarah is they are both not trusting that God will provide a baby. And she's like, hey, can you do Netflix and chill with Hagar and, hang, and go on this date? I'm using euphemisms right now because I can hear little children's voices. Um, and, so, and so she um, is, is uh, she gets pregnant. And Sarah's really upset about this whole thing, as she should be. If, you know, by the way, I say this repeatedly, but I want you to know because I know it's a refutation of things that we face in our culture. A lot of times people will say, I don't believe in the Bible because it pushes, like, polygamy. I think that when you read the Bible, it shows you that polygamy is really jacked up uh, when you actually read it. So, so she gets really angry, and this is in Genesis, and she's, and, and, and she's like, can you get rid of her? And Abraham's like, yeah, she's going to send her in the wilderness. And the mercy comes when she's out there, and God tells Abraham, don't worry about it, I'm going to take care of her. And, and he sends an angel of God and Hagar, when she experiences, you know, this angel of the Lord comes before her, and he, what she says is, God is a God who sees me. She's experiencing the mercy of God in a place that would be frightening to be. I mean, I don't know desert life, 
and I don't know how much water you can carry for how long, and there's like nothing out there, right? Like if you don't have community, you're going to go thirsty. Like I'm thirsty, and I just have like a cold. If, I mean, if you're out in the wilderness without water or whatever, it's going to run out, and you're going to run into trouble. I don't care if you grew up there. It's going it's to be gone. If you don't have community, you're going to die. And she's afraid, and an angel of the Lord comes and, and, and cares for her because God has mercy. And he has mercy on us in our lives. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. And there's those around us that God has sovereignly placed us in, in relationship with other people. And we have the, the power in our hands to actually share about the mercy that we know of. We need to magnify God because of the characteristics of God. He sees you. He is strong, and he cares. My, my, um, my great aunt is in heaven now, in the presence of God. And she was a person who shared all kinds of just, just coins of, of, of mercy on me so that I would hear the gospel and believe, that I would, I would learn about ministry. I would even meet my own wife. And now, and she did that because she cared about the magnification and the glory of God. And we need to be a people who care. During this Advent season, we need to be a people who care about the magnification of Jesus. And so my encouragement to you during this season is that we be a people that would magnify his great name. Amen.